This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Friday, so that means the weekly news panel gets together. Before I welcome in the panelists, let's set up the first topic all about politician behavior. Things are deteriorating in the United States Congress as their House still can't find a speaker. Jim Ryan files this report. Nebraska Republican Don Bacon was a hard no on Jim Jordan, and he says someone texted and called his wife warning her if he didn't switch his vote, they'd help vote him out of office. Trying to bully my wife is is wrong. Iowa Republican Marionette Miller-Meek says she received credible death threats after voting against Jim Jordan. Jordan saying he had nothing to do with those calls or texts and condemned them. Andy Field, ABC News, Washington. Meanwhile, in Canada, parliamentarians are being told to button up their behavior by new speaker Greg Fergus. Lisa Laporte. Fergus rose before a question period on Wednesday to say behavior in the House has deteriorated over the years. He says heckling from MPs intended to intimidate and drown out others has become boorish, rude and insulting. Fergus, who was elected speaker at the beginning of October, says while he's committed to protecting MPs' freedom of speech, questionable language and provocative statements will not be tolerated. Lisa Laporte, The Canadian Press. Okay, let's bring in the panelists for the news panel, Joita Gupta and Michelle McQuig. Hello, Joita. Hello, Dave. And hello, Michelle. Hello, both of you. Okay, I've only got one core question for this segment, and we can pull at the threads and tug a little bit back and forth as we go, but the core question, Joita, at what points do politicians have to be adults in the room with their behavior? I acknowledge there's a difference between parliamentarians being told to maybe not shout at each other as much or bang on the table a little bit less, but when you're talking about a U.S. House of Congress, a House of Representatives that cannot get business done because they voted out their speaker two weeks ago can't get a new speaker in like there's a war in eastern europe there appears to be the possibility of a war breaking out in the middle east there's economic strife like joita there's serious business to be done here at what point do these folks need to be adults in the darn room at the point at which they stop doing work and i think that's what everyone is now wringing their hands over it's uh really interesting to see how jim jordan is is himself a very polarizing figure, you know, Donald mm-hmm. Trump supporter yeah. and someone who uh, claimed that Trump, uh, that, that Biden had not won the 2020 elections. And there's all kinds of baggage that go along with Jim Jordan. And then you've got people in his camp who are going around issuing threats and, um, you know, targeting um, other representatives saying, if you don't switch your your vote, uh, your family, you know, we'll, we'll make sure you yourself cannot get reelected or, you know, going after their, their spouses. That sort of thing is beyond shocking. I mean, there's a big difference between banging on the tables and saying here, here, and then getting into the realm of issuing threats. And so when you start to think about the U.S. House of Representatives, they've gone through 
I don't know. At least Kevin McCarthy was elected speaker in January. It didn't last a year. And yeah. then even the people before that, two speakers before that, did not go through the full extent of their term. And they got pushed out because of the ascendance of hard right leaning politics in the house and i think it's uh, it's it's very tempting to say that it's largely going uh, owing to the fact that people are not acting like adults in the room that we cannot seem to get any work done or they cannot seem to get any work done in the house of representatives but i wonder if the underlying causes are a little more troubling mm. uh in that it really speaks to something that we've talked about extensively on this panel which is the polarization of politics yeah. especially in the united states and to an extent in Canada. Yeah, Juita, if I were to get a little bit conspiratorial, I might argue the fact that there's a lot of Republicans in Congress that don't care that Congress isn't doing its business, that this is sort of them doing a de facto government shutdown without mm -hmm. it being called a government shutdown, but it really is like a gross manipulation of a political system. These folks swear to abide by the Constitution, and the American Constitution deliberately makes democracy hard. That said, you're supposed to grapple with these things in good faith, and I feel like the last couple of weeks have not been good faith grappling with the operation of government. Again, because of the real serious issues that exist here, I don't want to like engage in too much fear-mongering, but there is a pretty significant war happening in Eastern mm -hmm. Europe, and there's a really serious situation going down in the Middle East right now that could escalate if like adults don't show up here. Uh, Minority House Leader Hakeem Jeffries, so he represents the Democrats, did float last week on the Sunday shows. Hey, we're talking about maybe forming a bipartisan coalition to get business going in Congress, but like that hasn't moved at all this week because not enough Republicans are interested in doing that. And it should be noted, it would really only take about 20 Republicans to do that, right? Like, to, But they don't want to give the Democrats the power of the gavel in the House. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Michelle, that's my big, long preamble of asking you the generalized question. <laughs> at what point point do these folks need to be adults in the room? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question in that, I, I, honestly, I would argue always. Politicians have a pretty big job. They're in charge of some very important things. A, a lot of the shenanigans in the House of Commons of the decorum issues that were raised by Greg Fergus uh, have actually bugged me for a long time because it's just so unruly. If you listen to any part of question period, you feel like you're in a kindergarten class and it's it's truly uh <laughs> pretty striking in that respect. And even, the, I, I don't know if you, anyone caught this part, but even as Greg Fergus was trying to issue this call for better decorum and peace in the, in the, common, in the House of Commons, he's being heckled by yeah. the opposition. Yes. Yeah. Like it was just, yes. like they were, they were yelling at him for postponing question period, which they were describing as sacred, no joke. And then, and he's literally just saying, I'm just trying to make a statement calling for better order. And it was it, like, it was, you talk about adults in the room. It was juvenilia at its finest on, with this particular speech with Greg Fergus. But obviously, you're right. The stakes are so much higher in the House of Congress in the States right now. The situation is particularly uh, bleak because the uh, the whole crisis triggered by this House Speaker issue was the, the possibility of a government shutdown. And the House did manage to push through a 45-day extension during which they were supposed to negotiate a better deal. They can't even do that because they can't. You literally cannot do any business without a House Speaker, and they don't have one. And two weeks of those forty-five days have now elapsed. So we're likely to see this circus. Even if they if they got a Speaker elected today, we're still likely to find ourselves back in a similar place in a month's time. And this kind of haggling will will go on. And it's it's really dispiriting. I I I hate what it does to democracy. I hate what it does to attract future political talent. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's. 
Michelle, <laughs> I, I like I like that word. I like that descriptor, dispiriting. Joita mentioned that political polarization is a theme that oftentimes gets explored on this panel. One of the other ones oh, yes. is distrust. Guilty as charged. No, that, but that, but that's okay because it's it's real, right? We're having real conversations here in nuanced ways. But one of the other themes that we pick up on frequently is the growing distrust and dissatisfaction with institutions. And yes. Joita, I really feel like when you get stories like this, or as Michelle points out, the juvenility in Parliament, and it even happened in the Ontario legislature this week with Sarah mm -hmm. Jama. Like, it was like, I don't want to get into it, but it was it was pretty nasty what happened to Sarah Jama because she mm -hmm. weighed in on the conflict in Israel um, and had, I guess, what you would call um, less of a populist opinion on it and, like, demands for apologies and shouting in the legislature Mm -hmm. I, when I think about stories like this, Joita, and like politicians behaving poorly, it makes me think it only further creates distrust in the institution of government. Yes, it does. And, you know, one of the things that I think about in relation to that is the fact that, you know, it has been noted that heckling and a certain amount of rowdiness is par for the course as part and is part of the parliamentary process. And that's all well and good. But if you think back to even 50 years ago, the halls of power or what the parliament actually looked like was very different. And so you mm -hmm. would have, you know, in a place like the UK or even here in Canada, and please tell me if I'm wrong about this, but you would have, you know, a whole bunch of white men shouting at each other. That sounds and, right. <laughs> and 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 yep, and now, yep. and this is not a bad thing. And now you have, of course, more women in legislature. You have more people of color. And so, what happens when the people in the room change? And when does that dynamic stop being, you know, well, this is just how we've always done things, and start to take on undercurrents of sexism or racism? Like it is very poignant that we had the spectacle go down with Greg Fergus uh, yes. as the first black man. First black speaker. Yeah. First black speaker. And and this is, you know, you, you'll say, you, you, you may, I suppose, fairly accuse me of playing identity politics, but at the same time, it does matter. It would matter to me, for example, as a person with a disability, if we had a speaker with a disability who got shouted down. Now, you could try to make the argument, well, you know, that's just how it was always done. But there's a difference when you turn around and heckle somebody from a traditionally marginalized group. Mm. That was one thing I had to say. And the other thing that I wanted to say, which picks up on the point that Michelle made about how juvenile this behavior can actually become. And I have to say that the CTV reporting on this has been interesting and has itself stirred up a bit of controversy because in the past, if you heckled, in the House of Commons, you could get away with it because for all intents and purposes, you were anonymous. Most reporters, even if they were present, would not focus on the hecklers. Right. And if you were at home watching TV, the camera is not pointed towards the heckler. It's pointed towards the speaker or, you know, whomever else. This time, the CTV reporting actually called out people as hecklers, which is unusual. And so people may realize that we have turned a corner saying that this sort of behavior isn't going to be sheltered by the anonymous, the fact that you get to, for all intents and purposes, remain anonymous. What happens in question period stays in question period? Well, apparently it doesn't anymore. And maybe that is what is going to cause people to 
be shamed and cause people to, if not change their behavior, then certainly moderate it. Yeah, the idea that question period was some sort of Las Vegas where you could just sort of do whatever you wanted to and then come back <laughs> and just go see your uh, your GP for a quick checkup. Uh, yeah, I, I, I see where you're getting at there, Joita. But Michelle, I want to come back to distrust and the sowing of distrust and the dispiriting that you were talking about, because I really, I am one of these people. I am an institutionalist and I believe in the value of government and the importance of government because that's all we have to make good, effective policy that can solve significant social strife in our countries and around the world. Like, I believe in democracy. Here's the hot take for a Friday morning. But it does strike me, Michelle, that this complete lack of collaboration, like not even just the polarization, but I mean like a lack of collaboration mm -hmm. to yeah. understand yeah. the common goals and the common good that Rousseau used to write about in the in the framing of democracy in the 17th century. Ooh. Like, I, like, I, like, this is what I think really gets me about distrust and dispiriting and the distrust in the institution of government. Nice intellectual shout out there. No, you're right though. And, and it, this, this cannot, and will not help. I, 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 every, every year it seems at some point on this panel, I find myself asking myself, at what point do we reach sort of super saturation on, on political cynicism? Like what mm, more can mm. be done to erode <laughs> public goodwill towards politicians and politics itself uh, to make people like, I think we're now at the, we're, we're reaching that point, if not there. Have you in recent memory gone through an election and gotten excited about a candidate or said, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty sure this guy intends to keep their promises. I don't think we see any of that any longer. Um, and this sort of conduct is this, whether it's actually bogging down democracy and refusing to get government business done or just acting really unruly and disrespectful. Uh, Joita raises a really interesting point about what happens when the dynamics change. And I hope someone writes a sociology thesis or a political science thesis on that someday, because <laughs> I think it's a fascinating question, uh, truly. But uh, none of these things are, are likely to, to help in any way. And it's I find it always quite interesting that politicians don't seem to be willing to do the, the work to refurbish their own reputations in that sense. Michelle, you asked a question there, and I don't, I th I'm sure it was rhetorical, but if I could express even just a little bit of optimism here, just, just for the sake of putting a bow please. on this with some sort of optimism. On a rainy Friday, we could use some optimism, on a, yes, on please. On a rainy Friday, Friday in southern Ontario where it's so dark outside, let me oh, express just a, lo a little bit of optimism on the way out the door here. You talked about a politician who maybe I'm excited about or optimistic about. In the regional news Ooh. update, in about 35 minutes, I'm going to have a story out of the prairies where Wab Canoe, the new premier Wab of Manitoba, Okay. has been sworn in, but I'm not going to talk about his politics per se or the cabinet that he appointed. I'm going to talk about the fact that he has appointed a number of cross-departmental and ministerial committees that are looking to find holistic solutions to things like gender-based violence, poverty, economic development. So even just a politician who is thinking about holistic issues holistically and developing cross-department mm -hmm. cross committees... Mm -hmm. I like that. Like, like that makes and me optimistic. Yeah, and that's a different, or at least different enough, page in the playbook to stand out. You're right. That, that's part of it too. Is right. What we see all these cycles where politicians sing for the same song sheet every single time. The same ministries are formed. The same players are involved. There's very little. Uh, there seems to be little appetite for trying to change the fundamental ways and things get done. So that you're right. That is an encouraging sign from Wab Canoe. Joita, I know Michelle asked a rhetorical question, and it's okay if the answer is no. But do you have an answer about optimism in politics? Yes, I actually do feel very optimistic about it because I think even 12 months ago, we may not have uh, asked this question. 
Or if we had asked this question, we wouldn't have asked it as publicly as we have. And I think the fact that, as I alluded to the CTV reporting, the fact that we are now at a stage where this is being tagged as bad behavior and not just as business as usual is a good sign. Change is always slow to come, but change is coming. And I think we are making progress. We've, uh, you you mentioned Bob Canoe, uh, the first indigenous premier in the country and uh, Greg Fergus and many more women in politics. So as the people in the room change, I think the dynamics will change, but we are up against some very entrenched beliefs and entrenched ways of doing things. Uh, but I think that as the people in the room change, uh, change and as attitudes change, you may not always feel that the change is obvious or evident, mm. but it is happening. And I think maybe, uh, maybe in 30 years time, we'll be having a different conversation, but who's to say? It seems appropriate that on a morning when I asked what's the best pop song of all time, that Juita's is out here quoting uh, Sam Cooke and Otis Redding with Change is Gonna yes, Come. Yes, so, Change well, is Gonna Come. Well, I was just about to well say. done. Well done by <laughs> nice you. Work. you nice know, work. Little yeah. optimism <laughs> on the way out the door in this one. Well done. Well done by you two, but there's more to come on the news panel. Coming up next, Quebec wants to double Double university tuition for out-of-province students. What's the long-term impact of that decision? This is the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.